Do it. Do it. Welcome to the Austin Otaku Podcast, hosted by Jesse McDonald and Keith Goode. Welcome back to the Austin Otaku Podcast, everyone. My name is Jesse McDonald, and joined yet again by the absolutely haunting Keith Goode. Boo. <laughs> boo. I love how unenthusiastic the first boo was. <laughs> boo. What can I say? If I'm if I'm haunting, does that mean I'm dead? How enthusiastic could I be as a dead person? Oh, that's, that's fair. I've really appreciated that this segment uh, over the the month of uh, with Halloween has turned into a, is that positive or negative? It's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, it's positive, but that's just me. <laughs> How are you doing, buddy? Well, I am well, and uh, TGIF, as always. But as also, always. This is, this is a specifically, uh, a, a terrifically great time right now, because not only is it Halloween weekend, but we are almost done with the election cycle. I'm so excited. Next week will either be a breath of fresh air and relief or dread. <laughs> Absolute dread. Mm -hmm. No comment on which what that means, uh, but if you're smart, you should know. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm really good. Again, and I think this has been recurring for, what's this, episode 15? For at least 10 of these episodes. Busy, but good. Uh, I think uh, we started on episode one, and you were busy. So. Oh, well, I've remained busy for at least 15-plus weeks, uh, exactly. so this is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, very excited, because our guest this week is fellow IBMer and otaku Jim Braden. He's a content director for IBM Systems, a blogger, and a fantasy writer, as well as a Star Wars and Transformers superfan, which I super appreciate. His collection of action figures and memorabilia will humble many fans. He's the only person to have a dedicated seat at the Alamo Drafthouse, thanks to his winning a Star Wars viewing marathon of 46 hours and 5 minutes. The feat earned him an appearance in The Hollywood Reporter, The Daily Mail, ComicBook.com, Birth, Movies, Death, and many others. Keith and I are excited about this episode because under ordinary non-pandemic circumstances, we regularly stop by Jim's desk at work to chat about nerdy things, which we typically like to call our West Wing walk as we kind of walk the floor that the three of us sit on. So with that, welcome to the show, Jim Braden. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. So... For the listeners out there, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally. Sure. Uh, well, I'll start with the boring stuff. Professionally, um, I am a content director at IBM. Uh, so I primarily work on uh, marketing videos uh, pertaining to our clients, client success stories. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. That lets me scratch um, my film making itch which uh, going back in my career, I did start in Hollywood. Um, I worked on a lot of film productions. I worked in script development, um, special effects, post-production, a little bit of everything, and uh, left that behind to move to sunny Austin, Texas, and uh, eventually through a weird chain of circumstances, found my way back to filmmaking. So that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's awesome. And I don't know if our BCGs, uh, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Business kind of got, yeah. Yeah. If our BCGs require us all three currently to say the thoughts and opinions of all three of these employees of IBM are not a reflection of IBM themselves. Very much not. <laughs> no secret <laughs> talk here. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're all not going to get fired now. Yay. Covered. Covered my rear. <laughs> That's great that you, you you started out in Hollywood. You're the second person in two weeks that we've talked to who has something to do with the entertainment industry or had something to do with the entertainment industry. So that's fantastic. Um, any anything notable in in that resume you want to talk about in terms of films you worked on? Um, well, mostly near misses with good films and a lot of heavy involvement with bad ones. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, there seems I'll to start... be a common denominator there, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the bad ones involved being um, being Mick G, the director. Uh, if you're old enough to remember him, uh, he created the OC. Um, he did oh. a couple of terrible movies, and and uh, he did a film called Charlie's Angels. And <laughs> I wasn't fortunate enough to work on that one. I got to work on Charlie's Angels two, oh, no. <laughs> which is so much worse. So that was uh, yeah, that was sort of my my low point in Hollywood, uh, and that was pretty much right before I left. But before that, I worked in script development, and I did have some legitimate near misses with uh, with awesome uh, outcomes there. Um, I looked at an early draft of Blade Runner two, uh, which at the time was called Blade Runner Down, and I actually fished that out of the recycle pile as an intern uh, at my first internship. And I liked Blade Runner. I read the script, and I was like this is really good and so i gave it to my boss who was the assistant to the director of development and he liked it and he passed it to her she passed it up to the vp of production it went to our principal producers they ended up liking it enough to fly the author um stuart hazeldean who is now a, a working screenwriter um flew him in from the uk he was a no name at the time and uh, they actually took him in to pitch the script the studio was on board and I fished it out of the recycle pile on a Monday morning, and on Friday afternoon, it got sent to Harrison Ford for his weekend read. Wow. Which was pretty cool. And, of course, he said, hell no, didn't want to do it because he didn't need the money the way he does now. <laughs> so, Are there anything that made it into 2049 that was in that script? Um, so there was a, a series of books that were, you know, this is back sort of not to get ahead of ourselves with the Star Wars EU, um, but they were considered the official sequel to blade runner even right were... there on my shelf yeah what's the guy's <laughs> name k kd jeter or something like that kw jeter kw jeter um and those were considered like the official you know sequels to the film and they're they're not great but there was enough material there again sort of like the the star wars eu you know things are creeping their way back into the canon um it was the same deal there where there were certain ideas that were in those books that did make their way into blade runner down which was more of a literal adaptation of uh was it replicant dawn i can't remember what the first what the first of the books was replicant night replicant man i'm so close with you're really this. close <laughs> um, but some of those made it into that script and then that script led to a couple different rewrites there were a bunch of different versions of it that floated around and you know there there are some elements i think that informed uh 2049 but nothing directly from it but Interesting. It, led to, it led to good things for the writer because he ended up, you know, he got representation and then he started getting some work. Um, so I think he's I think he's still out there. Totally. Hard to know. It's been a while. That's awesome. Hmm. Hmm. So re replicant gambling is what we got in 2049. They just went to Vegas. <laughs> just went to Vegas. Blade, Blade Runner. The, the Vegas script vacation. has taken a beating. <laughs> it's not, not what it used to be. <laughs> That's awesome. So. One one thing that we mentioned in your intro, which I have found extremely fascinating, is your your Star Wars marathon, which has gotten you a dedicated seat at the Alamo Draft House. And for those not in Texas or lucky enough to be in an area with a draft house, it's an awesome movie theater. They serve food, drinks, everything. 
high quality film definitely check it out if you're in an area that has one but can you talk to us a little bit about what what that entailed and kind of what it's like being someone with a dedicated seat sure well uh yeah so the draft house you know they've always done different events like this but they were they were looking at this as being a pretty big opportunity to get tied in with all the hype around um the, the sequel trilogy so they announced uh far and wide that they were doing you know this marathon it was basically they were going to show the existing six movies in sequence all being followed up by the premiere of episode seven and then for the people who were part of the contest they would stay in the theater and every subsequent showing of force awakens they would stay in the theater um, until basically everyone passed out and there was only one person standing and so they put out the call on uh, on Facebook and Instagram and all that, trying to see, you know, show us how big of a fan you are. Like, who's the biggest Star Wars fan? And they were going to get seven of us. And it was the contest was open to any uh, citizens of any state that had a draft house in it. Um, so they were going to fly people in. You know, it was they made it a pretty big deal and they got a lot of good sort of viral um, attention off of it. But anyway, I put in for it. I showed off my collection um, and sort of said, you know, big, big Star Wars fan. Um, And I got called. And so they invited me in to participate. They were originally looking for seven people. And then a couple of the people from out of state that they had, you know, awarded a spot to ended up falling through. So there were just five of us. And so uh, we showed up. I think it was 445 a.m. on the day. Well, I guess it was the day of the premiere of the movie. Um, but they, they started Phantom Menace at 4.45 so that they would finish at exactly the time when they were allowed to premiere uh, Episode 7. So, uh, so yeah, by the time you know that rolled around, you know everybody was pretty psyched just to see the premiere of the movie. And then as soon as we watched it once, it was sort of like you know diminishing returns set in. <laughs> it, got, it, got, it got less great. But the cool thing about it was, um, and again, this is one of the million reasons why I love the Draft House, they were cool enough that you know, all the all the contestants in the marathon were supposed to sit in a single row, and we did for the marathon itself. Um, but the the previous thing where they showed all six movies that was open to the public, so those tickets sold out pretty quick. But we were watching that with a real audience, and uh, you know, I had promised my son when the new one went into production, he was a little guy at the time, he was seven, I think. Um, so he had never seen a Star Wars movie in the theater. And then I said, you know, if I ever have a kid. You know, I'm going to take them to see if they make another Star Wars movie, we're going to see it opening night. And so, you know, all of a sudden this contest came along. No way I'm going to say no to that. Um, but then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, if I do this contest, I'm not going to get to see the movie with my kid. And so uh, the draft house was really cool. And I made a special arrangement with them. I kept the seats that I already had for the marathon. Um, and then just before episode seven was going to premiere, uh, my wife, you know, drove my kid up and we swapped out. Then he got to come in. So I got to sit with him for the first showing and then got him the hell out of there <laughs> and then <laughs> then it sat there for the next 46 hours uh you know watching star wars so that's awesome they they showed it in order of uh the actual episode numbers themselves uh but if you uh well you have a kid so obviously uh, I, I hear a lot of parents saying if i ever have a kid here's the order in which i'm going to show my kids the star wars movies what is your preferred order of watching the the movies yeah, so um, are you guys familiar with the machete, the machete order or the machete cut? Oh, I call mm-hmm. it I call it machete. But... Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, I, forgive, forgive my pronunciation. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a it's it's a pretty cool way of doing it. Um, I didn't do it with my son because I I really I just wanted to start him off with the original trilogy and not get bogged down with all the prequel stuff. Um, I don't hate the prequels at all, but it was sort of like I wanted to show him you know the Star Wars. 
Um, but the, the machete order is you start with, um, a lot of people say skip episode one entirely because it really doesn't add much to the story. And episode two pretty much catches you up on everything you needed to know from episode one, but you can show episode one. So the machete order is one, two, four, five, three, six. So that way you get, you know, the, the origins of Anakin going up through him being an apprentice. Um, am I getting it right? Let me think. That sounds right, actually. Yeah, I think that's right. And so then you skip ahead to episode four where, you know, Obi-Wan is telling Luke about his dad and about the Clone Wars and all that. And if all you have to go on is episode two, the end of which is the beginning of the Clone Wars, you know, you sort of in your mind, you have your own idea of what that was all about, which, of course, is how we grew up wondering what the hell Obi-Wan was talking about. The Clone <laughs> Wars sounded interesting. Don't know anything about it. Um, but then you watch, you know, four and five. And when you get to the Vader reveal, uh, spoiler alert for your audience, <laughs> Darth <laughs> Vader is Luke's father. Uh, then at the end of that, you jump back to episode three. And now you see, you know, the fall of the Republic, Order 66, you know, Vader being born. And then you go back to watch Return of the Jedi, where you see, you know, Vader's redemption and the end of the Empire and all that. So it's kind of a cool way of doing it. Um, it's a little convoluted. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. So it's supposed to almost superimpose a flashback into the cut. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is kind of cool. Interesting. Where does the holiday special fall into that order? Well, I mean, I think I think you have to have it in there at least twice. You've got to slot it in. I don't know where it's necessarily appropriate for the canon, but... You have to watch it after every single movie. Life Day is yeah. celebrated after every single movie. Well, you Boy. know, it's 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 funny going back to the contest. They showed they showed the six movies, and then they got up to Force Awakens, and then they showed that to us like four or five times. Um, and by now, we're into like you know the middle of the next day. And I think there were, I think it was just down to me and the other guy. So most of the people fell out pretty quick. And then I think what they were considering to be like the killer, like this is going to finish them up, was they took us into a room, just the two of us and made us watch the the holiday special Oy. and we weren't supposed to talk to each other we're supposed to just watch it but you know we were punch drunk you know, we, were, <laughs> we were really overtired and we were both super fans and we couldn't help ourselves and we just started you know joking around about it and riffing off it and dropping trivia on each other and <sighs> it turned out to be a great thing and they actually showed that on periscope and I didn't actually get to see it after the fact before it went away, but a lot of people said it was actually really fascinating because it was like a lot of good information about the holiday special. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, it had it had the, the the opposite effect of what they were going for because we came out of that totally pumped, and now it's like now we're buddies. Like, oh shit, let's go back in and watch the movie again. So they were like, Jesus Christ, like not what we wanted. Um, so they, they ended up they ended up prolonging the contest by probably eight, eight hours. But so, yeah, eventually, eventually the other guy tapped out, and that was the end of that. So, it, and it was essentially a full work week plus six six hours and fifteen minutes, right, or five minutes. Uh, yeah, you're you're you're. It's an endurance battle for sure, mentally, I imagine, more than anything, because you're not. I mean, you're basically sitting the whole time. Um, but I love the part of the interview talking to you about that, where you, you the the guy, the last competitor, leans over to you and he asks, "You're not going to quit, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you said no and he's just like all right that's it i'm done that was uh yeah well it's it's funny my buddy who went to the six movie thing they they interviewed him after the fact uh and you know 
they were just like, oh, his, you know, his his friend, you know, they, they interviewed him just to find out more about like me and the contest. And his quote was like, they weren't prepared for him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. No, you know, what's 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 funny is they did like I looked into marathons beforehand. You know, I was I, I wanted to know more about like how, you know, how people have, have gotten through these kinds of things before. And I found an article talking about the, the Simpsons for the 500th episode had a marathon where they were just going to show every Simpsons episode. And then if, if somebody managed to somehow make it through them all, they would start showing them again. Um, and it was an entire theater full of people. And it was like, whoever was left was going to get 10,000 bucks and you know, whatever. Um, and so same kind of thing. Most people tapped out, you know, relatively early. And then there were two people who both of them were just like, I'm going to win this. And so at the time, the world record for sitting, watching a TV show was like 78 hours or something. And they both like they went the distance. And finally, like the con- the people running the contest were worried about their health because they were like, these people were not doing well. Um, and as soon as they broke the world record, they called the contest and said, you both win. <laughs> but that was the end of that. But coming out of that, like the, the, the one girl had burst blood vessels in her eyes oh, wow. um, from having her eyes open so long. The other guy like hallucinated. I mean, it was like they were reporting some pretty horrific things. But I was like, you know, if there's any fan base that's geekier than Simpsons fans, it's Star Wars fans. So if you're going to get these people in there, like everybody is going to be playing to win. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, OK, this is going to go at least 70 hours. And so mm. the fact that it came in at like 46, like it seems like a lot, but you have to know where my head was at. Like I expected it to be so much longer than that, that I sort of like paced myself, I guess, like mentally. Theoretically, you got off easy. I, I did. I did. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, the psychological effect, like you said, sitting, you know, I have no problem sitting for 46 hours. That's not a challenge. <laughs> I'm a very sedentary person. Um, but, you know, mentally, it's like. Even watching a marathon of different stuff would have been one thing, but watching the same thing again and again was like, it's like, it's hard to explain what happens to the mind, but like time folds in on itself. Like mm-hmm. sequences from the movie that I really liked, like the Millennium Falcon, you know, the finding the Falcon and like, you know, that little tie chase that happens uh, on, on Jakku on the desert planet. You know, that was a great sequence. It got me super stoked the first time I saw it. And then every time I watch the movie, I'm like, I've got to sit through the, the parts that aren't as good just to get to the parts that I liked. And then those parts are on for three minutes and then it's over. And I'm like, well, I'll see it again in three hours. You know, <laughs> but then it started to feel like I feel like I just watched this like a half an hour ago. So all of a sudden time stopped making sense. See, um, it's it's funny. I think I've told you this before. I used to work at a screen printing shop right after college. And that whole group was just really interesting. We we would watch movies or like shit like Tim and Eric. So, I mean, like we were already screwed up, um, but we would listen to music and sometimes we would do what we would call repeat offs where we would start a song, just hit it on loop and see how long we could go. And our record was like two full work days of listening oh. to, I think, Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. But I mean, we've we did several like really crazy ones. And I think one time we made it 10 hours off of stand up and shout off of the rock star soundtrack and we're getting physically <laughs> ill um so no i i get it i totally get where that kind of it screws with your body we just watched all of trapped in the closet one time and people were throwing up by the end of that <laughs> just, just once just one time i don't think we finished all 52 parts but yeah that was pretty horrible yeah hey, you you watched uh the force awakens the episode seven force awakens 10 times during this marathon is that correct yeah or, or you got into the 10th time we uh, we had just started the 10th show and that was when the guy leaned over and he was like he was he was about done 
And then he was like, you know, that was when he asked, like, you're not going to quit, are you? I'm like, no. And I meant it, you know. And he was like, oh, shit. All right. I'm done. Like, that was it. <laughs> he, he literally couldn't, like, I again, mentally, I think he just couldn't, like, I cannot believe I'm going to watch this goddamn movie again. <laughs> you know, and I, I was pretty close to the breaking point, but, like, I'm just, I'm stubborn. I wasn't going to, you know, they would have had to wheel me out of there, I think, for me to quit. Now, and I think what really sucks is that you watched the special edition versions of the original trilogy, right? Yeah, well, of course, that's 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 oh, all that no. exists anymore. So they say. Yeah, fair. Oh no, well, not uh, legally. Legally, that's all that legally can, exists anymore. I I can direct your your listeners to easily the best fan versions of the original trilogy. We've talked about them already. We've got them. Oh you my ha- God. Well, okay. What which ones do you have? What have the you de- talked about? The despecialized. Okay, or? that's see. A lot of people say that that is not actually the best one. Where, you got where's find another the, one? You got to find the the Adiwan edits, A D Y W A N. Okay. Okay. He actually went in, and this sounds like sacrilege, but he went in and not only fixed a bunch of stuff and you know did the color correction, he got rid of the matte lines, like he did a lot of stuff that cleaned up the movies, but he ended up adding some of his own stuff, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Like he like you know the Death Star scenes in the original Star Wars, they don't really have establishing shots outside the Death Star. After they show it a couple of times, you go right from, you know, Luke and Leia, you know, whatever they're doing. And then there's like those terrible, like Happy Days wipes that take you back into the Death Star. But you don't really have those big establishing shots. And the guy went in and he put these things in there and they're fantastic. And it really does give you that, you know, that that scene transition that the movie, you didn't realize it was missing it until you see what he did. And it's like, that's what that needed. And then he did Empire Strikes Back. And like he fan sources these like people send him, you know, 25, 30 bucks. Then he's always updating, like, oh, we, you know, we made some costumes today. We, you know, we built some new miniatures, and like the guy is no joke. And uh, so, Empire Strikes Back, I think it took him the better part of like six or seven years to actually get it done after he did A New Hope, and uh, he put it out probably two years ago now, I think. And he added all the stuff to the Battle of Hoth, where it was like you see snowtroopers repelling down the side of an Adat, like the side of the Adat opens up. You can find the trailer, and all the stuff is wow. on there. He has a scene where you know when. Uh, uh, who blows it up? I can't remember. Is it? I think it's Luke actually. Who, what, whoever shoots the the at at, and then it just falls over on its side. That was mm. Wedge. Was it Wedge? Or no, no, that that was the the Wedge, the did, the, Wedge did the tie up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't sure. remember who. I don't remember who shot that. I don't yeah, know if they, yeah. It was just just a snowspeeder that did it. Yeah, but uh, it, but anyway, you know, it tips over on its side, and he actually went in there and digitally and really good effects put in one of the little chicken walkers, the little ATSTs, and he had it walking alongside the AT-AT. And you see that in one shot from behind the AT-AT, and you see this little guy come walking into frame, you know, on the side. And then they cut to the front view as the AT-AT keels over, and the little chicken walker looks up like, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> and it's like they turned that into a laugh scene, but it really worked. <laughs> so that I, I'm just endlessly impressed by, by those movies. And the, the thing that made me a real fan of his was there's there's a moment and it's since I was a little kid watching it on HBO drove me absolutely nuts. The scene when um, Luke, uh, sorry, when uh, when Leia, Lando, 3PO and, and Chewie are racing for the Falcon. Han's been frozen and taken away. And now they're trying to make their getaway from Cloud City. And it's like, you know, Lando's shooting and Leia's shooting. The stormtroopers are coming and C-3PO is on Chewie's back and they're like, you know, get come on, get on the ship. And Chewie turns around with 3PO on his back and 3PO's head hits the side of the Millennium Falcon. And mm-hmm. there's a little red landing light on the side and he knocks it off a little bit. So it's oh. like it totally for me, 
like once you see it, it's like the stormtrooper hitting his head. Like once you see it, I could never look away. And I'm watching the movie and I'm about halfway through it. And I'm like, man, if he fixes that, like that would be the most amazing thing ever. Cause it's something that only an obsessive, like I have to do everything. <laughs> yeah. And it got to that scene and I swear to God, I cheered. I'm sitting in my <laughs> office alone watching the movie and I was like, Oh my God, he did it. He actually that. So that's man. I'm a huge fan. And so now he's doing Return of the Jedi, and it'll probably take 20 years to do it. But wow. but I, I'm I'm there for it. I'm yeah, look that up. Them down sure. the Addywan Addywan edits. Addywan. Definitely uh, throw us a link to that because I'm going to check that out for sure. I, I will indeed. The first time I watched the Despecialized after my buddy burnt them for me, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is so good. Yeah, so good. Well, what's funny about the Blu-rays they put out of the original trilogy, I mean, not only are they the special editions with all the crap added in, but the color correction is awful on it. They're so mm-hmm. dark. You know, Luke's lightsaber, like when he when Luke fires up his lightsaber in the Millennium Falcon that first time when Obi-Wan's going to train him, like his lightsaber is white. Like it's barely mm-hmm. even blue. It's just white. And if you're going to go in and redo the special effects and add a bunch of crap like Jabba's band and all this stuff, at least fix the color of the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, these are, this is like low-hanging fruit. And he just didn't do it. He fixed all the wrong things. Why is Luke screaming when he is, you know, deliberately falling <laughs> down the pit and he has to scream? Like, <laughs> yeah, at least he didn't do the McClunky thing that Disney did. Yeah, what is that? I have what no that? idea. No well, idea. Now that we have hit that point where we are in pure tangent mode, um, <laughs> we're also at the halfway point, which means that we are at our otaku recommendation section. So, tell me something good. So, starting off, Jim, um, what's what's your recommendation for the viewers or listeners? Well, I would recommend, and again, not to uh, not to take your audience away from you guys, but there's another podcast. Um, it's Bill Simmons, so it's part of the Ringer Network, but uh, it's called the Rewatchables, and he has a panel of uh, you know four or five people that's you know it's a rotating panel but basically they go back and find the movies from the 70s 80s 90s that they consider to be just the kind of movies where you know if you're flipping through the channels and you come across that movie no matter where you are in the movie you're going to sit there and finish the movie because it's that good and you've seen it a million times and it's worth revisiting and you know they'll spend a good hour and a half like diving into these movies they do you know internet research so they're dropping trivia um, you know, they all just talk about their favorite things, what worked, what didn't, you know, casting what ifs. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there. And they, you know, they just, they pick fantastic movies. And it's like, it's like they're in my head. Like when they're, when I'm listening to them talking about the movies, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they know this. And then they'll say that it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing, but it's really super entertaining. Very funny. That's Indeed. awesome. Per, per your recommendation, I did listen to their, their most recent, uh, well, not most recent, but the Teen Wolf one. That was a lot of fun. Teen Wolf was hilarious because, again, it's, you know, they're, the Ringer Network is a sports network. Bill Simmons is a sports guy. They all are. And so they spent about, you know, 15 minutes talking about the wolf makeup and the plot, and they spent the rest of the time dissecting how bad the basketball was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was really funny. Like, who, like what, what college would have recruited the Teen Wolf? <laughs> you know, the, the sad thing is, as bad as Michael J. Fox was at playing basketball, I kept thinking, he's better than me. <laughs> yeah. Well. Fair. I could watch that movie today and have no problem with the basketball because I don't know what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm, I think, well, there's mm-hmm. a basketball. They're on a court. Sports, sports ball. Sports, sports ball. <laughs> B-ball Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jesse? What do you got this week for us? So 
since this is the last week of October, I am going to finish off the the Halloween theme and recommend a movie that's been incredibly important to my life uh, and and in, in many ways, even before I was born. So that movie would be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So for those of you that know me, um, you, you probably know that my parents have been together since they were 16, um, very similar to myself and my wife. Um, and when they were, they were younger, they would go see Rocky horror. So went did the experience dressed up, you know, threw shit at the screen, all that jazz. Um, so very early on in my life, Rocky horror came into my, my conscious. So every year we always, when we can try to go see it in, in public. So we get the whole, you know, theater experience. And if not, we, we watch it. So this year we're going to take joy trick or treating at their house and we're going to watch Rocky horror. But simultaneously, I wanted to recommend it because not only is it just an amazing piece of pop culture, it's also incredibly important, especially to, you know, like the LGBTQ community. It's 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 huge. The entire message of the movie is don't dream it, be it. Just be yourself. So I, I think especially with the way things are right now, it's important to have those positive bits of representation in in media so that one's a huge one for me and i think for a lot of other people so i wanted to recommend it if you haven't seen it it's bizarre but it's great it is bizarre but it is great (laughs) you're right i think it is best viewed in 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 a public setting uh in those crazy little things where people come dressed up and they throw pieces of bread at each other and hot dogs and you know all sorts of stuff (laughs) my absolute favorite is that people get so intense with it and just memorize all the special call outs and stuff there's inevitably going to be that one guy in the audience that does every single call out and some extra ones but sounds so unenthusiastic (laughs) like he is there and he's been doing this for years and this is just what he does yeah so yeah, definitely go see that. Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> so Keith, what uh, what's yours this week? I'm going to recommend a local author, uh, Amber Fisher. Uh, she wrote. Well, she's actually written several books, but uh, I, I I have only read um, a few of the books. It's kind of funny. One of her books is no longer available, so it's it's now worth nine hundred and seven dollars and ninety nine cents. But uh, a book that you can still buy at a reasonable price is called A Soul to Take. It is based here in Austin, of course, and it follows the um, the thoughts and actions of a raven who is a uh, basically not really death, but it's sort of like a in, J- in Japan they have things called shinigami or soul reapers. He's a soul reaper, so um, definitely recommend Amber Fisher's A Soul to Take. She's got a new series that has come out uh, as of late called um, it's the or Rest in Power Necromancy and. Uh, that includes Rites of Passage, Dreaming Down the Bones, Temple of the Inner Flame. But yeah, she's a fun writer. I enjoy her work. And I figure A Soul to Take is a perfect Halloween book to read. And that is our recommendations for this week. Good job, guys. Very nice. I am currently adding the book to my Amazon yeah. wish list as we speak. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> lo- I love supporting local folks. They're no doubt. Great. No doubt. So, um, Jim... You and I, we and and Jesse actually, prior to actually right after the um, the trailer for the latest uh, of the episodes of Star Wars, 
the rise of Skywalker, we sat down in the office together in a room and we said, well, let's discuss it for the next 10 minutes. And then we ended up talking for like two hours. <laughs> yeah. I think we're not, not ashamed to admit this because it's been over a year. So statute of limitations is gone. I'm pretty sure I skipped a couple of meetings for this. <laughs> so it was, it was a great uh, time. I, I think for all of us geeks to sit down and talk and we didn't just talk about the, the rise of Skywalker. Um, preview but we talked about you know transformers and other things but in the interim we have had a wonderful show that has hit the airwaves on disney plus um called the mandalorian and obviously you and i have both watched that and uh episode nine came out this morning at around 3 a.m i didn't get up that early to watch it but uh it's a good show what i like it what do you think about the mandalorian what are your favorite parts of it what are your least favorite parts of it I mean, I think it's fantastic. I think it's, I think it's exactly what fans and I, you know, I hesitate to say like fans as if there's one type because I think a lot of people wanted different things. Um, but I think like from our age group, what we wanted was, you know, we wanted what felt like grown up Star Wars mm -hmm. that had all of the elements that we would recognize and feel comfortable with, but in a new setting, like feeling like the timeline had advanced. Um, I don't know that the sequel trilogy did that very well. I felt like it was a lot of fan service with no payoff. Um, yep. The Mandalorian, it feels like all the fan service is earned and it all makes sense and it has it, it's earned a place in the narrative. So nothing feels forced. Yep. I like the idea of the Imperial Remnant. I like the idea that, you know, the Republic, it's not like the good guys won at the end of Return of the Jedi and now everything's cool. And it's not like the sequel trilogy where, like, nothing changed. Like, there's still an empire. Everything is still terrible. Like, there's no forward momentum. Here, it feels mm -hmm. like you're at a place in between where it's like, yeah, the established government fell and everything is in complete chaos. And the New mm -hmm. Republic is, like, trying to get things back on track. But everybody's sort of like, yeah, well, I mean, it's easy to knock a government over. It's hard to build one. Yeah. And so, especially <laughs> on the Outer Rim, like, everything is just kind of shitty and lawless mm -hmm. and i feel like the mandalorian you know is perfectly representative of that and i like the scum and villainy you know style of the show where he's running around with low lives and you know doing dirty jobs there's no idea of like saving the galaxy you know there's no epic good versus evil it's like it's just dudes trying to get by in a lawless <laughs> moment in time mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and you know you either love baby yoda or you hate him i'm oh, sorry the child um you know, and he's like, I'm a little worried about that. I haven't watched the new episode either. I am worried that he's going to introduce, you know, a save the world angle where all of a sudden it's going to be, you know, all the important characters are going to show up. Boba Fett may be going to show up. They tease that. <laughs> um, you know, there's things that make me nervous that they're going to blow the story up, you know, to a larger scale. But I would much rather see it just stick to you know, the low level stuff. I love the episode where they do the jailbreak, you know, and they, they go into mm -hmm. that ship. And mm -hmm. that wasn't like a mythology episode, you know, I mean, that didn't really do anything on its own to drive the story forward, but it was such a great heist. Like it's, if you ever played like the Star Wars role-playing game or any role-playing game and you thought about playing it in the Star Wars universe, like that's what you would play. Of course, you're going to have this <laughs> random group of like alien guys with different, you know, skill sets, you know, like the, the, the big, uh, Deveronian guy, you had mm -hmm. 18 strength, you know, he's, he's, he's your muscle, he's your, he's your fighter. You know, and it was like, it was so great to see. And it was sort of like, you almost don't care how it turned out because it was so much fun along the way. Um, but then, of course, you know, this, the now the, the Imperial Remnant's coming back into it and the guy has the dark saber. Like, there's all those mm -hmm. good EU tie-ins and ties into the, the bigger mythos that's like, that's what that's what's going to keep people coming back, I think. 
I think so too. You have to you have to insert some of those things to sort of get people to go, oh, I saw that in Rebels, or I saw that in Clone Wars, and I, that's so cool that you you brought that in. And I I just want to be clear. I don't know if they're, I don't know if I've, I've read anything definitively saying they're definitely bringing back Boba Fett, but they certainly are bringing back Timura Morrison, uh, which could be Boba Fett, but it could also be one of millions of different clone troopers as well. So I I you will we'll see how that works out. Well, it wasn't just idle speculation about Boba Fett coming back, because there is a little bit of an Easter egg at the end of the episode where they're on Tatooine, where you know you see yes. a pair of feet walk up and you hear the spurs. You know, that's you hear, like Boba Fett's thing. You hear the so, spurs, but they don't, don't know. necessarily. You know, yeah, exactly. It, they do Maybe a somebody lot of just things. found his shoes. <laughs> yeah, somebody found the shoes. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about Dave Filoni and and John Favreau. You know, they know this this universe better than anybody, and they're going to do things to sort of. I don't know, mess with the fans sometimes, perhaps. We'll see. Yep. Yeah, I'm really excited. I did see, I got up early this morning and I watched the, the latest episode. And there, no spoilers here at all. Uh, but uh, I was excited to see a uh, both a fat Weequay and a skinny Gamorrean uh, in this. That, that doesn't give anything away. Uh, we, we also discovered that the, the, the thing that the Tusken Raider was saying when he, he attacked Luke Skywalker in episode four was, Hey, come get your dinner. So, <laughs> you said yeah. no spoilers. Come on, man. That's, that's, <laughs> that's that. That's not a spoiler. But when you see it, you be like, "Oh my god, he's right." <laughs> that's hilarious. So you mentioned something when you you referred to the child or Baby Yoda, as pop culture has called it. Who the hell hates Baby Yoda? Mm. Agreed. I think it's the same people who hate Ewoks and Porgs and anything cute that they put into the franchise. Mm. Um, Bastards. Bastards. I mean, I think people just don't want cute in their Star Wars and they feel, you know, but people forget, you know, they always act like this stuff is a new thing. Like, oh, stupid Porgs. Who wants this, <laughs> this cute crap? It's like, did you ever see the Return of the Jedi? Like the Ewoks were the original cute crap. Um, and love Word. of the part of they're part of the DNA, you know. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of what Star Wars is from the beginning. Like, you don't have to like everything about Star Wars, and some of that stuff is, you know, it's merch, man. They're just looking to sell merch. Oh, totally. Yeah. totally. Episode four had Jawas. Episode five yeah. had the Ugnats. Episode yeah. uh, six had the Ewoks. I mean, come on, cuteness is in the DNA of Star Wars. Well, I think that Baby Yoda was like the cuteness that we didn't know we needed. Like no one ever. I don't think. I don't think Yoda showed up in Empire Strikes Back, and people were like, "I wonder what he looked like when he was a baby." I'll bet that was cute. Like, who the hell thinks about that? <laughs> so for them to bring in this character, like, I could not have been more surprised. And like in this day and age, that's damn hard to keep something that that many people were involved in creating to keep that a secret from getting out somehow online that like, yeah, there's a baby Yoda, you know, <laughs> nobody had any idea that was going to happen. So I was like, holy shit. Like when I knew it from behind, from the ears coming up into frame, it was like, Oh my God, that's a Yoda. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, Oh man, that was, I mean, that couldn't have, there couldn't have been a better hook in terms yeah. of like blowing up the internet. And, and James Hibbard last week on our show was talking about as a reporter who had was given access to an early showing of the episode uh, he, he mentioned that they digitally removed any instance of Baby Yoda from that viewing so that it wouldn't slip. It wouldn't sneak out in any way, shape or form. So wow. uh, obviously they were they were keeping that very, very close uh, to them. So they until we all saw it and we're like, oh, Baby Yoda. <laughs> and for well, those listening say. that like Baby Yoda, go listen to Werner Herzog's uh, interview where they ask him about it. <laughs> it's so wonderful. 
it's the most honest thing it's so heartbreakingly beautiful it's so good so this this is an exciting part for me because not only am I a Star Wars fan and we talk about Star Wars and general nerdy shit that we like in the office, but it's very rare that I ever get to meet another human being that has a similar passion, if not a greater passion, for G1 Transformers like I do. Uh, so meeting you uh, when I started IBM was exciting. Um, so tell us a, a little bit about your your Transformers collection. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have, I mean, I do have a representative collection. I have like, so they make the masterpiece transformers. These are like Japan, you know, super expensive ones that are like very, very faithful to the show. They're amazing. Um, they're amazing. And so my goal was to get the entire arc crew. You know what I'm talking about? The, mm -hmm. just the, the first batch of, of Autobots and then pre movie. Pre-movie, pre-season two, where like Hoist mm -hmm. and Grapple and all those guys showed up. This is like the core guys. Um, and so I made it a quest to get, you know, the best version. Because there's a bunch of knockoff companies that make their own versions of them too. Um, but to find the best versions of each of those characters and have like a nice display of just the G1 good guys and bad guys. That's awesome. So, yeah, I, I could not be a bigger fan of G1 Transformers. I just remember that show coming out in the midst of like... You know, the GoBots was the cheap, you know, <laughs> knockoff thing. And, like, if you go back and watch that, I mean, Transformers has not held up great. I know it's sort of sacrilege. Yeah, yeah. It feels like an 80s cartoon. I mean, you know, guys are miscolored and they use the wrong voices and mouths move when nobody's talking. It's all the typical cheap animation stuff. But if you watch that alongside GoBots and imagine these two things being in the market at the same time, targeting, like, fourth and fifth graders, like, there's no contest. There's oh, 100%. No contest. 100%. Transformers is, like, legit sci-fi. Like, I've I've never met anyone with a leader one tattoo on their arm. Plenty of no. Optimus Primes out there, but no leader ones. Come on, pour one out for leader one. Cop Tour was pretty cool. I will say that Cop Tour was, was pretty cool. He was the GoBots version of Soundwave. I've so. I've got no problem saying that I did watch some GoBots when I was a kid, but G one Transformers and I watched it as G two, where they enhanced it with uh, CGI a little bit, which is really bad. You should go watch that if you haven't. Mm. So no, yeah, I dropped, I dropped out after the movie, the, the the animated movie. I felt like that was a nice. Really, you haven't watched yeah. past that? Oh, I've watched it, but I mean, as a kid, I was oh, like, fair, I saw the movie, fair. and then they came, they came back and did like season three, and it was like now following the characters from the movie. But I sort of I didn't give a shit about the characters in the movie. I liked it, I, I liked their adventure. But at the end, it was sort of like I mean, you end the movie where it's like you know people doing a dance number on Cybertron. Hey, we're free, we win. Like we're where are you going to go from there? Yeah, I 100% agree. You, I think I've spoken of my grievances with George Lucas and Indiana Jones in the past, which is why I didn't, I've never watched Indiana Jones. Uh, the same thing for the later seasons of Transformers. Why the hell would I want to watch someone who is responsible for the death of Optimus Prime be the leader of the Autobots? Screw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. There's, there's a great video that's uh, The Rude Awakening of Optimus Prime. If you look it up on YouTube, that's pretty great. He wakes up and is like, what the fuck happened? Firelight. Oh, shit. What are you doing? It's really, really funny. But yeah, he definitely blames Hot Rod for everything. Good, as he should. That's yeah, he awesome. doesn't let him off the hook at all. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's like this. The, our show is, is basically um, the Seth Green show from uh, Adult Swim. Um uh, Robot chicken. Uh, robot, robot chicken. chicken yeah, it, it, it's all Star Wars and and Transformers here, essentially. 
Yeah. So I think it makes that show else, great. It, it is. It really does make that show fantastic. You, uh, speaking of fantasy worlds, because, you know, obviously we've talked about two different universes of fantasy worlds, or they could be the same for all we know, just different points in time. A lot of people say Star Wars Good is our point. future. Um, <laughs> uh, you you actually write a little bit of fantasy yourself. I do. Yeah, that is you, true. You got this. Uh, you, you've got an ebook uh, out there, The Tower and the Gate. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, that was a story that I've been wanting to write since maybe junior year of high school. Um, I came up with you know the world and the basic plot, and then I I put it all together over one summer and brought it back to school. I guess my junior year of high school as a D and D campaign for my friends. And so um, I played them through the plot and I really, for me, it was like pressure testing the story, um, letting them have their contributions as their characters. And then at the end of it all, I was like, I'm going to write this as a book. Um, but I was 16 years old and I knew if I wrote a book, it was going to be derivative and crappy. And so I took the entire binder of all my notes. Like I have dictaphone tapes of myself, like, you know, sort of summarizing, you know, sessions of the game and everything, what happened. Then I put the entire thing on the shelf and I said, I'll come back to this in 10 years. And if I still think it's a good idea, then I'll write it as a book. And so I put it on the shelf and I never stopped thinking about it. And I did mature. That was when I moved to Hollywood. I started working in script development. I learned about, a lot about story, a lot about character. And uh, I went back to the binder and I still really thought there was something there. So um, I wrote the book of the first, it would, it would ultimately end up being like nine books total. Um, but I wrote the first book and, um, I put it out there and I tried to, you know, see if anybody would pick it up and, you know, I didn't get very far with that. And I started looking into self-publishing. And so I found a guy on, uh, on uh, deviant art to do cover art for the book. And so I reached out to him. I worked with him a little bit, put together a cover, and then I put it up on, on Facebook. And I said, you know, look, I, I don't love the title of the book. I still don't love the title of the book tower and the gate. It's pretty generic. Um, but I said, you know, if you saw this book on the shelf, like which of these titles would you think the most would be the most compelling to you? And so I put them all out there and a lot of people started voting on it and all that. Well, of course, one of my buddies from high school ended up seeing the post and he was he happened to be the guy who played the main character in the campaign. And he's like, you know, hey, send me your book. I'd be interested to see it. And uh, he said, I'm not going to promise anything. But, you know, my wife is a lit agent. She represents uh, authors, you know, young adult, post-apocalyptic fantasy, um, steampunk kind of stuff. And like he couldn't have identified the keywords that better described the book. Then he's like, you know, send it to me. I'll take a look. If, you know, if it holds up or feels like it would be good, then I'll give it to her. Can't promise anything. She'll take a look at it. She, you know, she'll be honest. She's not going to waste her time on something that's not good. Um, but you never know. And so, you know, this went on for like six months. Eventually she did read it. She gave me a lot of notes Said I should take the book, split it in half. Um, and, uh, I did all that and I brought it back to her with all of her notes implemented. And she said, I'll take you on as a client. And so, now she has my book. She's shopping it around. I haven't, you know, haven't found a home for it yet, but it just blows my mind that my buddy from high school who played the main character in the <laughs> campaign in this, you know, in effect, the main character in the book married a woman who is a literary agent who represents that kind of fiction. And now she's my agent like that. I just trip out on that. Man, that's that's exciting, though, that if you can get that actually published and, and pushed out there, obviously, you've spent a long time building this world and and. You know, again, last week we, we had a chance to talk to a guy that covered Game of Thrones. Speaking of world building, oh, you yeah. know, the, the, the potential now, Hollywood is desperate for stories to put into film because 
the writers they have either can't produce anything interesting or <laughs> or they just feel like, well, why would we even try? Let's go to the comic book store, get a story right. that's already built, and make a movie out of it. Yep. No, so, that's exactly right. Now they need Hard. to what, or or young adult novel for that matter. Yes, they that's another yeah. that's another area that they fish quite regularly. For sure. <laughs> Is this a new development? Because I don't think when we spoke about this last year, you had gotten this far with with the book and and yeah, no, getting representation. Yeah, this is pretty recent. So nice. Um, she is trying to shop it around. You know, it's a hard it's a hard time to be shopping young adult fantasy because that market has just you know post Harry Potter, post uh, Hunger Games. You know, the market's just flooded with people who are like, oh, he's a plucky young adventurer who discovers a magical <laughs> world. You know, and it's like it's hard to get away from that. And if you have anything that even remotely sounds like that in a pitch, like that's a tough sell. Yeah. So I try, you know, I've, I've tried to decide whether it's young adult or whether it's, you know, adult fiction for people who you know are really into escapist fiction. Um, but my agent says it's definitely young adult. And like, that's the, that's the market to target. And, you know, her attitude is, yeah, the market's flooded and the timing might not be great, but you know, a good story is going to win out. So she's, she's more bullish about it maybe than I am. But um, in the meantime, I'm writing other stuff. Just, you know, she is my agent. She'll shop around whatever I write. So I've got to, I'm trying to come up with something that's, that's different, you know, very different. Hey, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Got a couple Te- things lined up. Teen Wolf was made in 21 days in, in the midst of a market <laughs> in, that was flooded with teen comedies, right? I mean, like, yeah, but and- not teen werewolf comedies. Uh, well, I mean, there, but plenty of werewolf mo- movies. They, they, I think they, they pointed werewolf. out, they pointed out quite a few. They had Wolven, they had um, Teen Wolf, obviously Teen Wolf two, two came after that. But then you had a number of other uh, Silver Bullet, uh, American Stephen Werewolf King's in number, London, American Werewolf in London, plenty of where. So you know, it was in a, it was in a sort of a flooded market of both teen movies and also werewolf movies. It just happened. Very to, true. Yeah, Let's very just true. talk about how, as we're listing off werewolf movies, the last one that we list is American Werewolf in London, while Teen Wolf 2 got a mention way before. Wow. Whoa. Well, you Whoa. know. Whoa. It's like so weird. I don't understand. <laughs> it was the first one. It was the first one I mentioned, for the record. Keith rattled off a list of very subpar werewolf movies. <laughs> I, I had know. to I had to interrupt him to say and American Werewolf in London. So for the record, for the record, I I have been on a streak of watching really bad movies in the past year. Like every Saturday night, there's a bad movie on my television. So uh, d- d- sorry, that's just where my brain automatically goes to now. It's a punishment. <laughs> it's a punishment to myself. I don't know why I do it, but I do. That's incredible. <laughs> so. Awesome. Looking at the timer, gentlemen, I believe we have hit the lightning round. Lightning round. Fun stuff. So this is a segment of the show where we basically ask the same three questions of all the guests. And at some point, I don't know, we'll we'll do something with it. I'm not quite sure. But it's still kind of fun to ask the same three questions because all of our guests are so different. So uh, are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. All right. How do you think your hobbies have contributed to your success in your full-time work? Hmm. Well, I've sort of been able to manipulate my jobs into uh, leveraging the stuff that I want to do. That was one thing that I was really lucky with in my current job was that I was hired to do one thing and I was able to sort of manipulate it into being what I wanted to do. Um, so I've always been pretty had pretty good luck with that. I think as a storyteller, you know, storytelling um, – you know, you can leverage storytelling in a lot of different places. And in fact, you should, 
Um, so, you know, in effect, I'm making, you know, short films when I do uh, these videos and it's easy enough to, you know, to, to, to put a product in a, in a video setting and just tell the product story, but that's not storytelling. And so if you know how to tell an effective story that comes out in, in business communications, you know, any sort of industrial films, I mean, anything you have to have, you know, a human connection that comes from telling a good story. So I would say, you know, playing with, you know, Transformers toys when I was a kid and knowing the characters from the show and, you know, faking their voices and having them act the way they would act in the show, telling new stories. Like I started that stuff really early. So everything in my life has always been, uh, you know, story based. So. Excellent. If you could be one fictional character, who or what would it be? One fictional character. Oh, man, that's hard. Um, I think I would be Marty McFly. I like the idea of being cool and adaptable and having access to any time uh, for as long as I wanted to be there. Go check a place out, you know, take a quick tour and then move on to the next place. I wouldn't want to be Marty McFly with all of the uh, the paradox, you know, fading away. You know, my life is in danger. I've ruined my parents' relationship. Just I would just want to be a free agent traveling around. Uh, that's I think that would be that would be pretty awesome with or without Doc Brown, but probably with. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's uh, a second vote for Marty McFly. Amazing. Uh, what other interests would you like to pursue if time wasn't a constraint? Pursuits. Um, hmm. I'd probably write a lot more. It's really what I want to do. It's uh, it's very hard to prioritize. Um, I'm not the kind of person that can write in 10 minute increments. If I'm going to sit down and write, I'm going to write for you know eight to 10 hours in a go and crank out you know, 15 pages. So that's impossible to do with, you know, a schedule with a couple of kids and a full-time job, um, a lot of other demands on my time. So if I, if I could do it, I would go off like, uh, like James Conn in misery, just go in a cabin and hang out and write for, you know, four months stretch straight. Like mm. that's what I would like to do. I think. Yeah. The trip back is, is kind of the, the hardest part for that particular uh, metaphor. Uh, very hard on the ankles. Very hard on the ankles. <laughs> That's a good one. Don't recommend it. Uh, God. <laughs> Don't drive in the snow if you can. There's just so many things. There's so many warnings there to yeah. avoid. I'm living cool. in misery. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is our lightning round for the week. Thank you for participating in that. Sure. So with that, Jim, uh, I think we have hit time. And again, thank you for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure talking to you in the office and not being able to see you three to four times a week has been a real bummer of this pandemic. So I know bummer. it's very sad. Big bummer. We're definitely going to have to have you back for our Star Wars panel, though. We are definitely Ooh. going to have that at some point. I would love that. I'm there for it. Awesome. So two hours of Star Wars nerdiness. <laughs> <laughs> it should be good. So we'll definitely that should be happening pretty soon. We're getting to the point where a lot of the the big Star Wars people have been on. So we need to need to bring it all back together. So we will Great. definitely so, let you know. Maybe it'll be a New Year show. Engage. Engage. Oh wait, the, different universe. Sorry. The, the, the Starman <laughs> series. So with that, thank you for joining and uh catch you catch you later. Bye bye. Thanks for having me. This has been the Austin Otaku Podcast. To learn more about us and our show, to be a guest, or to subscribe to our show go to www.austinotaku.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.